All right, good morning. So you may have noticed a dress code up here on stage, back there in the tech booth, and wondering what is that all about? And is this some sort of solidarity with those in in Maui? Um, And that would have been a meaningful thing, because obviously that's awful things going on there. Um, But no, it's much more ridiculous than that. Um, This Sunday is Pastor Travis Swan's first Sunday back after a two-month sabbatical, yeah? And Pastor Travis apparently has been previously quoted as saying, I would not be caught dead in a Hawaiian shirt. And so we just wanted to welcome you back, Travis, and say some things have changed while you've been gone. All right, well, we are um, we're in a series on the law, the Mosaic Law, the books of Exodus through Deuteronomy. And we've been in, the, in this series for a few months now, and, and, um, and these are the books that we tend to avoid often. As, as Christians, even in our Bible reading, we tend to avoid these books because they have this reputation. They have this reputation as, as being boring and irrelevant and confusing, and so we tend to avoid these books. But... I've really appreciated this series. I hope you have as well. I, I, as we've dug into these books, I've just found them fascinating and maybe surprisingly relevant and practical. And we're in a particularly practical section right now. We're going through the Ten Commandments. And there's a lot of application here. Obviously, the Ten Commandments address real-life situations. And we're working our way through those commandments. Now, we could take these commandments in much more detail. We could spend a week or multiple weeks on each one of these commandments, but for the sake of time and in order to get through the whole law in a reasonable amount of time, we're, we're lumping a lot of the commandments together. And so a couple teachings ago, Perry took the first three commandments together that are all pretty God-oriented, all relate to each other pretty closely, I would say. Last week, John covered the fourth commandment, the Sabbath commandment, and that was really helpful. This week, we're going to take the next three together, so the fifth, sixth, and seventh commandments. And my prayer this morning is that even though we're, we're covering these very quickly, I'm only going to spend really a few minutes on each one of these commandments, my prayer is that, that, that they are still very meaningful to us and that they will stir us towards action. I think there's going to be some good application um, from, from our, our uh, study of these commandments. So let me pray for that. Well, Father God, we, uh, we are asking you to help us, to help us to, to see the, the beauty of your word right now and the beauty of your instruction, even your commands. Lord, you command things for our good and to reveal your nature. And as we follow your commands, there is great blessing. And I pray that we would, we would see that and know that this morning. Lord, as we, we uh, cover some perhaps familiar instruction, I pray that you would help us to see it freshly and be able to apply it freshly in our lives. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, let me just read our passage for this morning. Commandments 5, 6, and 7. It's obviously a very short passage, three verses, Exodus 20, 12 through 14. Honor your father and mother and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. 
Okay, so we're going to take each one of those commandments in, in order. And again, very, you know, we won't go into great depth in, in any one of them, um, but there's still, still a lot here. So we'll start with honor your father and mother, commandment num- number five. And this is just really a, a wonderful opportunity for me. I get to teach through this with all four of my children in the room here. Um, and, um, and I didn't even plan it. I mean, this, this just kind of fell to me as we were divvying up uh, teachings, but there's just this fantastic opportunity here this morning. Um, but this teaching is not just for the Ritter children. And it's not even just for children. It's actually for all of us. Okay, that's the first point I want to make about this commandment. This commandment is for all of us. It's for the five-year-old to encourage the five-year-old to, to obey their parents. It's, it's for the 15-year-old to encourage you not to roll your eyes at your parents. And it's for the 45-year-old to honor your aging parents. And not only that, but, but it's also for, for all of us in general, I think it's the, the foundation of a principle that's found throughout the Bible to just honor age in general, to honor life experience. Okay, that's, that's what we are to do. And so I think this is for, for all of us, regardless of age, this is not just for kids, it's for everyone in this room to honor age and life experience. So there's the first point. I want to make a few other points or observations here to help us to understand um, the, the uniqueness and the importance of this commandment. And I'm going to even spend a little more time on this one, I think, than the other two, because I think this is a commandment that's very overlooked, but it is a very critical commandment for us to understand and obey. And so let me try to explain why this is so important. So the second point to make, uh, this is a commandment to do something rather than to refrain from something. And so eight of the ten commandments are prohibitions against doing something. Okay, you shall not blank. Two of them are encouragements to do something. The fourth commandment is to remember the Sabbath, although even in that commandment it says remember the Sabbath and then do not work. But this one is a straight encouragement to do something, to honor your parents, to proactively honor your parents, to do that with some intention. It's not just a response to instruction, but, but it's an encouragement to actually do something, specifically to honor. Now, what's, what's honor? Well, honor probably includes a lot. Honor includes obedience. That becomes clear. We're going to read a a verse in a minute here that that links obedience and honor together. So certainly we should obey our parents, but I think it's even more than that. Again, it's a proactive, intentional esteeming of our parents, highly esteeming our parents. the, the, The word translated honor is often translated in the Old Testament as, as heavy or glory. It's like giving a weight to this role. This is a weighty, noble role. And so we are, we're going to intentionally bring weight to that role. Okay, that's the goal here. Number three, next unique thing about this commandment is what Paul notes in Ephesians chapter six, that this commandment comes with a, with a promise. It's the one of the Ten Commandments that comes with a promise. So we could read Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. 
Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. So there's the obedience. Children, you must obey your parents. But then he quotes the commandment, honor your father and mother, and then adds this commentary. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And so there's this tangible blessing that God promised to bring about for the Israelites. And this is the only one where he attaches that promise. He says, I'm going to do something real in your life. I'm even going to extend your life as you obey this commandment. And I think it just demonstrates, again, the importance, why this is so important to God. He stamps it with this promise. And it is important because this, this, this relationship of parent-child, it reflects our relationship with God. Okay, this, is, this is what he designed. He designed to have a, a, a million little pictures in every generation of the parent and child relationship, and that was going to reflect what, what God intended his relationship to be like with us. And so when we honor our parents, we're reflecting that relationship. And so it's very, very important. And so he attaches this promise to it. Not only that, but God also has, has strong words for those who disobey this command. And I'm going to go to 1 Timothy chapter 5 here. And in this chapter, the, the commandment itself is not directly quoted, although it's underneath everything said in this chapter. In this chapter, um, Paul is, is instructing the, the people on um, caring for, for widows. I'm going to read verses 4 and 8. He says, But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. And then dropping down to verse 8, he says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. It's a really, really strong language here from Paul. It's pretty uncomfortable, actually. And he's saying you, you must provide for your household, but of course the context here is even to provide for, for parents or grandparents. He's speaking to adults here, I think, and encouraging them to provide for elderly parents. He says, if you don't, you have denied the faith. Worse than an unbeliever. So God stamps this also with, with strong, critical words for somebody who disobeys this commandment. So this, this is an important commandment. We can't just overlook this one. We should also understand that this commandment doesn't naturally make sense to us. Growing up in the world, the context, the culture that we have grown up in, this command doesn't make sense to us. And I want to give you a, a few reasons why this is a countercultural command. Okay, number one, the, the concept of honor, it just doesn't really re resonate with us in our world, in our nation. You know, there, there are other cultures where, where honor is something that's very important, and therefore shame is to be avoided. Um, but not so much here. Now, our culture may be changing in different ways, but, but we're more concerned with what's, what's right, usually. And, and we evaluate people based on whether or not we think they're, they're right, whether or not we think they have something reasonable to say, rather than just honoring a, a position or a role. And so this just doesn't, doesn't quite make sense to us. Sometimes it might make, might make a little more sense in certain parts of the country. You know, you, you travel to the south and they call people sir and ma'am. 
but you say that here and we're kind of offended. Like if you call me sir, it makes me feel old. And we just don't have these kinds of terms, this kind of language. We, we don't really get honor where we live. Secondly, we live in a very youth-oriented culture. I think this is, this is clear, that youth is, is highly esteemed. And there's obviously a value in, in youth, but I think in, in our world, again, um, we, we elevate youthfulness in a lot of different ways. There, there are billions of dollars that are poured into this, this youth culture and marketing to the young. And, and, and images of young people are held up highly. You know, there's this, this verse in Proverbs 16.31. It says, Gray hair is a crown of splendor. It is attained in the way of righteousness. But none of us believe that. <laughs> okay, we avoid looking old. We do our best to do that. Again, because our world pushes on us, look young, be young, um, embrace youth as much as you possibly can. So we live in this very, very youth-oriented culture, I would say. We also just don't like to submit. You know, we, just, we, we just don't like to defer to people. Um, we definitely don't in our, in our, our, our nation here... Um, and maybe even especially out west, we are rugged cowboys out here. And we are independent, we are strong, we are fierce. We don't want to submit to anybody. And this is just what we were immersed in. This is the water that we swim in, I think. And so this command to honor your father and mother, it just doesn't land with us. It's hard to have it make sense. And therefore, I think we need to give it a little extra attention, actually. Okay, knowing that we're not naturally going to do this very well, I think we need to be intentional in making sure that we do it and making sure that we provide a contrast here, okay, that we're living differently because we are esteeming age. And I'm going to give you three, three quick practicals for that. Number one, and this is mostly for younger people, probably living with their parents, but make it your default to defer to your parents. I think you can make that your default. That doesn't mean that you just submit to your parents or any authority all the time. I mean, if they're leading you into, into sin, if there's abuse, of course not. But there should be a natural default, I think, to honor age and experience and say, okay, I'm going to defer here. I'm, I'm going to submit in some way. We don't like that, but I think that should be our natural default. And I would encourage all of us to, to make it that. Say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to listen here. And I'm most likely going to defer to my parents. Secondly, just be careful about youthful pride. And I think this goes, again, for pretty much all ages. We tend to look down upon or maybe dismiss the previous generation or generations. And usually we think the previous generations are kind of out of touch. Especially because our, our popular culture moves so quickly and things seem to change. At least surfacy things seem to change very quickly. And there's new language and style and music and it just all, all goes pretty quickly. And so it's very easy for us to look back at previous generations who just don't want to put in the work to keep up with all of that. And we look down on them like, you're, 
you, you just don't get it here. You're kind of out of touch. You know, um, there's that famous quote by Mark Twain. It says, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. <laughs> and, and I think this is true of, of every age, pretty much. And we think, no, the, again, this previous generation, they just don't understand. They're just not with it. But I do want to say that although popular culture does change very quickly and it is hard to keep up, and, and yes, your, your, your parents don't get certain things about popular culture and their, their jokes are lame and, and all of this, I do want to say that although those things may be true on the surface, it's also true that there's nothing new under the sun and that basic human nature stays basically the same. And that a lot of the world is basically the same as it was a generation ago or five generations ago. Sure, it looks different in, in surfacey ways, but really, the things that you are experiencing, your parents probably experienced as well. You know, it looked, it looked a little different, but they pretty much experienced what you're experiencing, and they have some wisdom there. And we've got to be careful not to assume my parents just don't get it. They do. They probably do more than you think. And so be careful of that youthful hubris and be willing to, to assume that your parents get a lot more than you think they do. Number three, be intentional and proactive. This is what I was just saying at the beginning. This is a proactive command to actually honor. It's not just to refrain from doing something. It's to actively do it. And so this takes some, some thoughtfulness, some strategy, where, where you think, how can I actually esteem my parents? I think that's what we're called to do. Put some thought into it. Actually do it. And so, with that in mind, we're going to do it right now. And, you know, every, uh, every week of this summer, we've had a, a kid's question, okay? So since our elementary-aged kids are in the service with us over the summer, we usually ask a question about the sermon just to engage them with the, the sermon, and they can win a prize for answering that question. Well, this, this week, we're going to do not a question, but actually it's more of an invitation. And it's not just going to be for one person. It's going to be for multiple. And here's the question or the invitation, and it's this. Honor your parents. Right now, out loud, for all of us to hear. And so, Chad here has a mic. And he's going to take it around. And um, I'm not sure how this is going to work. I don't know if there's going to be a lot of hands that go up or not many. If there are a lot, we may have to limit, limit it um, and cut you off after a while. You get, say, 15, 20 seconds. I want you to say something honorable about your parents for all of us to hear. And, um, and, I, and, and if you do, I'm going to throw a piece of candy to you. And we've got actually like big bags of candy and stuff like that. Um, and, and we're actually, so this is, uh, throughout the summer, it's been for those elementary age kids, age 7 through 12. I'm actually going to remove the age limit this morning. 
The one requirement is your parent has to be in the room. Okay? So, yeah, there you go. There's a few of you um, that are even in your 40s or whatever that you have an opportunity here. Angie, I'm sure you're in your 30s, actually. Sorry about that. Um, <clears throat> um, and so, so here we go. Uh, you, you can raise your hand if you would like to honor your parents. I think we're going to try to just go section by section here, and we'll take one or two from each section, and we'll just move down. All right, Chad found, found one. So say your name first. I'm Russell, and uh, my parents are very encouraging for me, and they just say to me whenever I'm doubting whatever I can do, they say, you can keep on going. It doesn't matter what you do. Just keep on going. Nice. Okay. All right, watch out. I'm going to throw these. So, Schistlers, you might be, get ready. Oh, no. Oh. Okay, ready? All right, another one. My name is Declan, and I'm respectful of my parents because they're really nice to me. And they, they, like, whenever I ask to, like, have something... They say yes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, here we go. Ooh. I think everybody wants to be in your family now. <laughs> right. Hey, Aaron, how many do you want to do per section here? You, got a you can bunch. do one more over there, and then let's move on. Okay, one more. I'm Zachary, and my parents... Um, they work for a place and do work, I guess. <laughs> and um, whenever I ask them to do something, they usually say yes also. All right. All right. It's a trend now. Okay. Here, here it comes. Just watch out. Uh, <laughs> All right, Chad. There you go. <laughs> All right, I'm Sarah, and I love how my parents are wise and kind, and I love them. Amen. All right, here we go. This is a softer one. Oh, wow. <laughs> the, right, we'll do one more here, and we'll try to go the other way. Okay. My name is Isabel, and um, what I love about my family and my parents is that they're always kind to me, and um, even when things are rough and I just feel like I want to melt down, I always have a comforting family, and my parents just always have been there for me. So, that's it. All right. All right, here it comes. It's a long way. <laughs> oh. Okay, middle section here. Anybody here? Hi, I'm Fiona, and I love that my I love that my dad plays with me a lot. Yeah. Okay. 
Okay, ready? Oh. Hi, my name is Maya. What I love about my family is that um, they're so kind, and I really, really love them. Nice. All right, here comes a couple. Ready? There's another one. Oh, here comes. <laughs> I've got a little. We'll keep going. Yeah. Hi, my name is Ray, and what I love about my parents is they raised the best middle child ever. <laughs> I don't know if that deserves one. <laughs> Hi, my name is Will, and my parents work really hard, like moving in, me into my mo new room and stuff. Hi, my name is Decker, and what I love about my parents is they always make time to play with me. There you go. Hi, my name is Aurora, and what I love about my parents is they've taken care of me all the, all the years of my life. Okay, here it comes. We have to have Angie, of course. Oh. My name is Angie. My mom is my hero in the faith. Her love for the Lord has stood rock firm through some of the toughest suffering I've ever known. And she's never wavered. And I love her. My name is Drew, and my parents are kind, loving, and encouraging. And I love them a lot. Okay. Now we got a Ritter now. Oh. My name is Abby, and I really like my parents because they're always loving and caring. <laughs> okay. Um, How we doing? I don't know if I'm going to be able to make this here. I'm going to, Abby, you're going to have to come up in the aisle, I think. There. How are we doing on candy? Are we good? Well, we've got a few more. Okay. Want. My name is Timothy, and I like how my parents help me with school. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Brielle, and I love my parents because they're very encouraging, and they help me with my homework, and they just keep my spirits up when they're down. My name is Jay, and I honor my mom because she says yes no matter what I ask her for. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. She, she's taught me to love, and she's always encouraged me to follow the Lord no matter what I was doing. Yeah. All right, here comes two of them. Here's one more. Three. Oh. My name is Emily, and I love my parents because they always give me math problems when I am in need of something to do. <laughs> All right, I've got three more. So after this one, two more. We'll go to the last section then. Okay. Uh oh. Do one here and one there. My name's Amelia, 
And you should always listen to your parents because there's probably a really good reason for it. And I love my parents so much because they make a lot of time for us. My name is Tyler, and my parents are honor honorable. Is that good enough? I think you have to try harder. They're really good at math. Okay. okay. All right, here it comes. Oh, no. Hmm. All right. Thanks, Chad. Gave Chad a workout. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so honor your parents. Now we'll try to try to hit these next two a little little more quickly. But the next commandment, number six, is you shall not murder. Um, all right, so a bit of a tone shift here. <laughs> um, all right, let me make a, a few comments about this. You shall not murder. First of all, this is the one that we use to justify ourselves, of course. So if you were to ask me, am I a good person? I could say yes, because I've never murdered anybody. <laughs> so I'm a pretty good person. That's the standard that we create in order to be able to, to meet it. And so this is the one that we can all use to justify ourselves, but not so fast. Because one, one of the, the, the things about the new covenant is often it renews these old covenant commands, but then expands upon them and reveals the heart behind each one of these commands. And that's what Jesus does. And so this command goes much deeper than it, than it appears. And we'll, we'll have to go to Matthew chapter 5 here for these next two, two commandments. I'm going to read Matthew 5, 21 through 26. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So, whereas before this was a commandment we could use to justify ourselves, and Jesus says this, and, um, and reveals what is behind this command. And he equates anger and angry insult with, with murder. And then he strongly encourages us, he says, to reconcile with somebody that you have offended as quickly as possible. And this he, he lumps into the same category, category as murder. Now this obviously is very, very difficult um, because, because we are, are guilty. And, um, and there are many situations that we probably all experience where we become angry and we insult. And our, our world today presents virtual tools that allow us to do this very easily and readily. 
where we can insult and we can become angry. And, and sometimes we can insult without immediate repercussion. It's just very easy to do. But Jesus says, you know what, that's in the same category here as, as murder. And when you become angry and begin to spew that kind of venom, okay, you are breaking the sixth commandment according to Jesus. Now, to understand that a little bit more, let's, let's continue to, to dig you know, I think this is a command um, not only to not do something, but this is also indirectly a command to honor. Okay, so we have all these prohibitions. The rest of the commandments are going to be prohibitions, but those prohibitions are, are, are a way to guard something of great value, highlight something that's, that's very, very good. In this case, it's human life. Okay, we are honoring human life, and, and specifically, we are honoring the image of God found within every human life. It's very similar to the last commandment. You know, the last commandment was, was to, to honor this parent-child relationship because that parent-child relationship reflects something of God and how he relates to us. Well, very similarly, we honor every human life because there's image of God embedded within every human life. And so when we, when we think of, of, of anybody that we interact with, whether it's that that person on the other end of the line working at the call center that is interrupting us, whether it's an extended family member that we've, we've struggled with for, for years and for decades, whether it's, it's that, that annoying person in our social media feed or, or whether it's the homeless person we see on the street or, or, or whoever it might be, the image of God is there, always doesn't matter age. The image of God is there from, from conception all the way to the end of life when, when faculties are, are, are being lost. There is image of God everywhere, young, old, rich, poor, everywhere. And we have to check ourselves and say, okay, am I treating every person that I interact with as, a, a, as someone who reflects who God is? I see the image there and then behave accordingly. And that's really the command, okay? To see the image of God in all of life and then to honor that life. All right, we're gonna keep, keep moving and we're gonna go to the seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery. Now, again, I won't go into great depth here and I know obviously we have a lot of our, our younger children in the room today and so I'm not gonna get real explicit here. Um, and besides, in a few weeks, in September, we are going to take a Sunday and we're going to address the, the laws contained within the Mosaic Code that relate to sexuality. And so we're going to go into greater depth then. But although I won't go into great depth right now, I still don't want to, I don't want to just gloss over this commandment either. This is an important one for us today. And, and I, I do want to challenge us here um, with this commandment. So, a couple thoughts. Number one, again, this is a command to honor. We can see it that way. Okay, just like the last two, this is a command to honor. This time, again, we are honoring a picture of God, and specifically the picture of God that is contained within the marriage covenant. And within the marriage covenant, we see things like, like desire and in, in enjoyment and intimacy and unity, and these were all intended to reflect God's relationship with us. And so again, we're preserving this picture. 
This is who God is in marriage. And marriage obviously also reflects devotion and commitment and and even exclusive devotion because we are to be exclusively devoted to God. And so breaking that covenant, it, it it breaks an important picture. And that's why it can be so damaging and destructive when that picture is broken. So this is a command to honor that picture of God that is found within the marriage covenant. But again, Jesus shows us that this command goes much deeper than it appears. And let's go back to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read the next section right after Jesus talks about the murder commandment. He, he goes into this commandment. So let me read it, verses 27 through 30. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And your right, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. So again, he takes it deeper. And he equates lust with adultery. And then after doing that, he uses this graphic language to describe how seriously we should take sin and how seriously we should strive to avoid sin. Now, I think he's, he's speaking with some hyperbole here. I, I, I don't believe the intention is to literally gouge out an eye or, or cut off a hand. However, we, we don't want to, to remove the, the power, the thrust of this, this too much. Jesus is saying, be willing to take radical measures, radical measures to avoid sin and specifically the sin of lust. I want to tell you a story. So there's a story of um, uh, when I really first came to Christ. So I came to faith in Christ as a college student, and I was saved into a community of, of crazy radicals. And these people were, were crazy radicals because they brought God into every moment of their day. Every situation, God was there, and I was not used to that. I had thought God was constrained to an hour on Sunday morning, but the rest of the week you didn't really think about God that much. But these guys were always talking about God. They were always praying to God. They were always trying to include God into all their decision-making and, and, and trying to please God in what they did, and this was, this was crazy. But it was compelling, and it was attractive, and I was drawn into this community of people who, who were... Um, who were uh, relying on God for everything. Now, um, when, when I came into that community, I was, uh, again, a young college student, and many of us, um, that year, this was the fall of 1996, spring of 1997, we, we were drawn into this community. Many of us came to Christ for the first time. Others renewed their relationship with Christ, and several dozen of us were these young freshmen or sophomores in college that, that started to follow Jesus wholeheartedly for the first time. Now, also in this community, there were a handful of, of older people that were providing some mentorship to us young college students. And so there were, there were these really old people, like they were 25 years old or something like that. And, <laughs> and 
and they were trying to provide some mentorship for us young college students. And, um, and I remember a particular night, uh, a handful of us were hanging out in the dorms. We lived in the dorms, and we were hanging out on, on a dorm floor, and um, one of these, these old guys, old 25-year-old guys, was hanging out with us, and it was a Thursday night, probably the spring of 1997. I want to ask you, does anybody know the answer to this question? What do you do in 1997 on a Thursday night? Anybody know? You watch Friends, right? So you you watch Friends. And so, and literally everybody does. And so you could walk up and down the dorm floor and you you could look at every every door and the TV was going to be on and everybody, literally, no exaggeration, everybody is watching Friends. And so we were doing that, of course. So we're, you know, it's Thursday night and we're, um, handful of us were getting ready to watch Friends, and this, um, this 25-year-old guy, he, uh, he makes a comment, and he says, you know what, um, I, I, I don't really watch that show, show anymore because it, it tends to make me lust. I thought, what? What are you talking about? And it was even a little offensive. I said, well, that, that seems a little extreme. That's kind of weird. Everybody on this floor is watching this show. That's weird. That's a little prudish. And again, it's initially sort of offensive to me. Um, after all, it's, you know, it's sure, sure, there's this show, there's beautiful women often dressing somewhat revealingly. Um, and sure, there's some sexual humor mixed in there, but it's relatively tame. Compared to a lot of what we could be exposed to, this is relatively tame. And so this felt extreme to me. But that little comment just kind of stu- stuck in my head. I couldn't really shake it. This, this decision that this young man was making. And eventually, I changed from maybe being offended by that to actually admiring it. Because I... I saw something in this man where he, uh, he knew himself. You know, I think he had come out of a, a background where there was a lot of relational experience and sexual experience, and, and he was turning from that, and he understood himself, and he understood his weaknesses. And he understood what was going to be a, a, a gateway drug. He understood what was going to, even if it seemed relatively benign, what was going to start him down a path that he didn't want to go down. And so he was willing to draw that line and say, yeah, I just probably won't, won't watch this. And I wonder if, um, if we need a little bit more of that kind of attitude today. Um, because... It hasn't gotten better, hasn't gotten easier. And we are swimming in, in images, and so much so that we, we, we can easily dole our consciences. And, and we can easily swim in lustful thoughts and think, well, they're not that bad. And um, lust is something that everybody struggles with. And can, you know, as long as you, you look but don't touch, or you just keep it under wraps, you keep it on a leash, 
But you know what? I think we can read what Jesus says here and understand that you, you can't. You can't keep it on that leash. It'll break the leash pretty quickly. You can't light that match without it, it going towards that out-of-control fire. Um, it's just the way it's, it's, it's designed. And we think we can, we can tame it and we can keep it under control, and we just cannot. And, and there could be, obviously, a thousand different applications here. But I just wonder if we need to, to take that attitude and, and a real seriousness here and say, okay, I am willing to figuratively gouge out my eye in order to preserve my soul. Um, because I think if we uh, unthinkingly immerse ourselves in today's media, lust will just, it'll just be our, it, it, it'll surround us, fill us, and will lead us down that road. It just, it necessarily takes us there. So the, the encouragement here is to be willing to take those radical measures, whatever those might be in your own situation, um, to not start yourself down that road. All right, so those are our are, are fifth, sixth, and seventh commandments. I want to sum up a couple things here um, and, and make a couple more points. Okay, so, so uh, to... To explain these, these commandments and, and to, to give this teaching, there are a couple of goals that I had. Number one, to stir in us a renewed commitment to obedience. Okay, that we would look at these commandments and say, okay, there, there's a beauty to these commandments. It preserves some important pictures of God. And there's a sweetness and a delight in obedience to these commands. And so I have this, this renewed desire to, to obey. Okay, that's what I hope would be stirred within us, a, a, a renewed desire to obey, a commitment there. But there's a second goal that I would have as well for this teaching, and that is to remind us that we can never obey perfectly, meaning that we must freshly rely on Christ's perfect obedience. You dig into these commands and you realize, oh, I'm failing miserably. <laughs> okay, if... If, if murder, if, or if, if anger is in the same category as murder and lust is in the same category as adultery, then, then yeah, I'm not doing so well. Um, and that can feel kind of disheartening. But one of the purposes of the law is to drive us to Jesus. Because the, the, the law, uh, it's this mirror in front of us and it exposes our inability or inadequacy to perfectly obey. And it drives us to cry out to God and say, God, I need your help. I can't do this. I'm not going to obey these commandments. I need you, Jesus. And, and I would hope that, that we would all get there as well. And we would maybe for the first time say, okay, I, I, I have committed adultery. I have murdered so Jesus, I need your forgiveness. Would you take that away from me? Would you pay the penalty that I owe? And maybe for the first time, you could let those laws drive you to a submission, a yieldedness to Jesus and to receive his forgiveness. But for those of us that have received his forgiveness already, just to freshly 
lean on that. Jesus, I, I, I still need you. I still can't do these things, but I know that as I walk with you, you are going to help me and I can grow in each one of these areas. And so I would hope, hope the law would take us there and that both of these things can be true. I can rely fully on Jesus knowing that, that I can't obey, but that I would be driven to obedience at the same time. Okay? And I, because I would see the, the, the wonder, the beauty in obedience. So with that, we're going to remember Jesus right now. And band, you can come on back up. We are going to take a communion together. Okay? And actually, I, I did want to share the last couple verses here along, those la- um, along that last point. You know, Paul, Paul knew that he couldn't obey perfectly. And in Romans chapter 5, he says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass. This is one of the reasons for for the law. It came to make the trespass um, more more weighty, more significant, to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So yes, the law increased our trespass. We became more aware of just how wicked we are. But along with that, grace increased and grace covered that. And, and, we, and, and Jesus showed us that his grace is, his mercy is more. And then I want to read Romans chapter 7. Again, this is Paul's struggle with sin and obedience to the law. He says, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God and my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He wrestled through this. He understood that he could not obey even though he wanted to. He delighted in the law. He couldn't do it, so he needed Jesus to rescue him, and Jesus did. And so through communion, we celebrate Jesus rescuing us. We remember that he died so that we didn't have to. He paid the penalty that we owed. We're all murderers. We're all adulterers. We neglect to honor our parents. We break all of these commandments, and we owe a death penalty for them. But Jesus, in his love, paid that death penalty for us. And in communion, we remember that. When we just take the bread and the cup, we, we go through this process of remembering his body was broken and his blood was poured out. And so, you, you should have the, the uh, cup, the elements right there in front of you in your pew. If you need a gluten-free option, you can raise your hand and somebody can come around and, and give that to you. But simply reflect on, on the price that he paid. Okay, that he, he rescued you, that he, he obeyed when you couldn't. And now you can be free. Free to obey uh, fully, with, with a heart that is oriented towards the, the beauty of the law. So reflect on that and then, then take the bread and the cup, remembering Jesus' payment. And the band is going to lead us in one more song and we're going to worship Christ together for what he did.